Hi, and thanks for tuning in to the Path 11 Podcast. I am your host, April Hanna. At the Path 11 Podcast, we are here trying to deliver leading-edge research on consciousness, healing, and metaphysics. And just like you, we are trying to answer the big questions about life. Who are we? Why are we here? And what is our purpose? We hope by listening to our podcast, it will make each day you live on Earth a little easier to understand. And now for today's podcast. Welcome, everyone, to today's podcast. I think you're really going to enjoy my guest. I learned a lot reading her book. The book is called The Way of Abundance and Joy. And I learned about the teachings of a man by the name of Don Alberto Taxo. So that's what I'm going to bring to you today. And I hope that you really enjoy this conversation that I'm going to have. My guest today is Shirley Blanca. And she is an archaeologist and anthropologist who for 40 years has been reconstructing the 10,000-year-old Native history of Concord, Massachusetts, with the help from Massachusetts Native Americans. And that's also where Shirley lives. She has also learned traditional sacred dance from a Hawaiian kahuna and hosted a ceremony for a, a... Oglala, I might be pronouncing that wrong, Oglala Lakota medicine man. She studied shamanic traditions with Hank Wesselman for 10 years and has worked with Ecuadorian Yachuk Don Alberto Taxo for seven years. So we're going to learn a little bit about all that she has learned. I think we're going to be talking about some shamanism and also introducing you to the works of Don Alberto Taxo, which also inspired her book, The Way of Abundance and Joy. So, Shirley, welcome to the Path 11 podcast. Thank you. Yes, happy to have you, too. I'm always really fascinated to talk to people who are connected to Native Americans, are working with that. And that's actually what kind of drew me into your bio to pull you in to have a guest, to be a guest on the show, because I wanted to learn a little bit more about that. And also, I had never heard of Don Alberto. So I was like, well, who is this person and why is somebody writing a book about him? So I thought that that would be interesting. So can you tell my listeners just a little bit about your background and some of the work that you've done and what led you to have curiosity in the Native Americans and also to begin uh, working with Don Alberto? Well, you know, my, my background, I mean, I grew up in, in England. And I was studying the the archaeology there, which is the you know the archaeology of as far as I knew at least my own people. Then at one point I, I came over here. I married an American, and so in order to continue doing what I had been doing in Europe, it meant really studying the background and the culture of a different people. So I felt that you know that it was important to to connect with them and to know something about them. However, it was quite a while before I was able to do that. I mean, I got my PhD here in archaeology, and then I was um, invited to give a talk on the uh, the founding of the town of Concord, you know, in the 1634. And I thought, well, I really can't do that unless I can find out what the point of view of the native people is, and I don't know any. So I said to the administrator who was in charge of the program, you know, that I didn't know anybody, and she she said, oh, she said, that's not a problem. She said, I'll introduce you to John Peter Slow Turtle. This is somebody who's just 
mentioned in passing in the book. And he was the supreme medicine man of the Wampanoag people here at Cape Cod and New England and actually became known throughout the country for, he was connected with legislation, you know, to do with the Native American um, Graves Culture Protection Act and various things to do with trying to establish a right for to Native American religion. So he was, I, I got to know him well. And so that was kind of the start of my interest in the Native people here. So then well, to, to go on to, to Donald Verde Taxo, I mean, I didn't know anything about him. And my, my friend Slow Turtle ha had passed on some years before. And a friend of mine said, she, she was in the dance group that I'm in. I'm in a sacred dance group as well. She said, oh, she said, there's a South American shaman who's going to be talking in about 15 minutes away from where you live. Would you be interested in hearing that? So I said, well, I haven't heard anybody like talk, you know, like that in a long time. And yes, I think I would be interested. And so when the time came, it was a very hot June evening and I almost didn't go. And then I thought, oh, maybe I will go. Got myself out of the house. And on the way there, I found myself feeling kind of excited and a bit nervous. And I thought, why am I feeling this way? It didn't make any kind of sense. So then I, I got there and so the the presentation he was giving was to do with sort of basic shamanic journey. And I don't know if, if your audience knows what that is, but it, it's a method of accessing your, the dream world or your intuition through a method of, of drumming, really, that changes your, your brainwaves so that you can kind of vision and dream while you're awake instead of having to be asleep. To, so. During the course of that, there was a break at interval, and I looked at some of the literature that was set out there, and I saw that he was the shaman of the elements, there, fire and water. So I thought, oh, I ought to tell him that uh, my dance group is going to be doing a dance in to, to promote the water, and it's anti-pollution. It's part of the Global Water Initiative. We're going to be doing it at the Old North Bridge. So at the end of the, the session, I got hold of the interpreter and I said, would you please, you know, relay this story to him? And he was, you know, standing about 15 feet away from me and, and facing another direction. So he heard the story and then he spun around and it was the most extraordinary thing. It was like a laser beam of light that came out of his eyes and it curled on its way towards me and came into my eyes and dazzled me. And I thought, what on earth was that? But I think that the interpreter didn't see it. Just at that moment, she asked me another question. So I didn't have a chance to pursue it. And I sort of lost the opportunity at that point. So afterwards, I was wondering, you know, how can I find out about this? I asked Hank Wesselman, I knew various other people if they could give me any clues about this, nobody could. And then the lady who had been the host for the evening asked me if I would like to accompany her to 
Ecuador, which is where he comes from, um, because she had had some damage from a fall and she wanted to see if she could get more healing from him. So I said, sure, I'll go. And we weren't going to go for several months, which gave me a chance to relearn Spanish. I'd learned it in high school. But I managed to get to a point where I could hold a basic conversation by the time we went. And so then it was a, it was a while before I had a chance to be alone with him to ask him about this. And I said, you know, what was that light that was that came from your eyes when we first met? So he sort of shuffled his feet and he looked like he wasn't sure if I could handle what he was going to say. And then he said, well, it was a signal. So I said, what kind of a signal? And he said, well, we've known each other in previous lives. And, you know, I, I took a step backwards at that because previous lives isn't something that my background, you know, <laughs> tells me anything about at all. So, you know, after a bit, I pulled myself together and I said, well, what were we doing, you know, in previous lives? And he said, well, there was one life where we, he we were healers in an indigenous context in Ecuador. But then he cut me off and he said, however, you know, the past is not important. What's important is the present and what happens now. And so that was the, the start of a two-week trip, which was a really very remarkable trip. And the story of that is in the book. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So I just, <laughs> I love kind of the synchronistic events and this friend kind of paying attention to inviting you and then all of a sudden, hey, why don't you come to Ecuador? I mean, it just all seems very divinely orchestrated. Yes. I mean, certainly it was something that, that happened that I had not um, planned in any way, whatever. And, and then, you know, the relationship that developed out of that was remarkable where, you know, I, I ended up writing a book, which I certainly hadn't planned on doing either, you know, not on that subject anyway. So. Yeah. So, so as you learned from him, what, what were some of the things that you studied and some of the things that he taught you that, I mean, I know that you've included some of the techniques, you know, in your book to share of his teachings and he gave you permission to do that. So what was it like to be able to learn from him and why did you feel so compelled to want to bring these teachings back for people to, to learn? Okay, well, there, there's several elements in it. I, I might just start with what he did with my friend and me, you know, on, on this trip to beginning, in the beginning that sort of introduced me or us to, to how he did things, you know, what, what he was trying to get across. So he took us on what he called a pilgrimage and he started it out with a little fire, a little sacred fire. I gave prayers in Quechua, which I, I'm sure were to Mother Earth. I didn't, wasn't able to understand what he said at that point. And he had a conch cell that he blew to the four directions. So that he explained to us that, you know, he, we were going on a sacred journey, basically, and to, to see what we you know, we could learn from that. So what happened was, I mean, he introduced us to how he connects with the elements. It's about connecting with the elements on a, on a very personal kind of level, like a friend, right? Yeah. I mean, we think of the elements as something that's, that's 
not doesn't have any kind of a, a personal characteristic but for him it's something it's not human but it's something you can connect with and relate to like a friend and uh, so then the friendship can develop over time so open the car window uh, you know it would rain he put his hand out and he would feel the raindrops and i know that he was giving thanks for for that, although he didn't do it out loud at that point, he he would also open the window, let the wind blow through. You know, you, so you feel the air, connect with the air, give thanks for that, for breathing, being able to breathe. And then he would do something like stop on the side of the road. We get out. He'd pick up a, a leaf that they have some lovely lemon-smelling uh, plants there, and then you'd smell the leaf, and, and there was this scent, which is a gorgeous scent, or You'd look at a flower, the color, and so it, it's really being aware of the nature that's around you and giving thanks for it. And it helps to lift your spirits when you do that. And, um, you know, he would also uh, give us leaves or sometimes crust of bread to, just to, to leave, say we visited some 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 water, you know, any kind of a stream or a spring, just, just again, something that was sort of special in the environment. So, so that was kind of, that's kind of the basic uh, message he's trying to get off uh, across that to connect. And for me personally, I mean, I've, I found over time trying to do this, that it's had um, a, a positive effect on me because Growing up in England, I grew up on a farm. I used to run through the fields and the woods, and I knew the plants, I knew the animals. And then I came here, and I didn't know anything that was around me. I tried to counter that by learning names of things out of books, and I realized that didn't really work. You know, I just felt felt alienated. But through trying to practice what he was doing here, I've you know, arrived at a different feeling about it, that, that I am, in fact, connected to the environment, even though I may not know the names of what things are. So it, it just has this effect of really supporting you. Yeah, I recently did. It was a, a fire ritual with a teacher of mine and in a couple of months ago. And she studies more out of the West African tradition of honoring the yeah. elements. So maybe somewhat similar, but yeah. we would build shrines to hold the energy and we would build a fire shrine for the ancestors, an earth shrine, a water, nature, and mineral for the five there. And I remember her specifically saying, because I think she had noticed that people weren't really understanding the yeah. nature of the elements. And she said, you're not just building these beautiful shrines. She said, this is like an activation. These elements are just as real as human beings. Yeah. And like you had said, like they are like your friends. But, yeah. you know, when we're creating these of the Western world, and we may not really come to understand that fully or embody that unless you're really studying it. It's not like all of these people coming to this retreat were, you know, shamans or healers or things right. of that sort. Yeah. But 
it was really interesting when she had said that, that I could see that people were moving into a different mind state of almost respecting the shrine and the element a little bit more, that it wasn't just something we were building for fun to make the room look beautiful. But in essence, each shrine of each element really carried a specific energetic to it to hold the space. Yes, it's really all about energy, and and that's not something that I grew up with either. I mean, I think it's our Western background. We have this kind of dualistic mindset that there are things that are alive and there are things that are not alive. And I think for the indigenous peoples of the world, wherever they are, you know, everything is an expression of the creator. So everything has some kind of a, a life to it. It's not human life, but but there's um, an energy you know, a spirit to it. So that's where they're coming from, but it's very different from the way we think, and it's not easy to get back into that. I actually have a friend of mine who's a musician was just saying to me that he, it was an eye-opener for him where he was playing, now I've forgotten what the, the nation was, it may have been Indian, I'm not sure, that he was playing with some Indian musicians, and at one point he stepped over one of the instruments to get to somewhere else, you know, then place in the room. And they all said, oh, you, you shouldn't do that. That That's, and he said, why not? And he said, well, it's disrespecting the spirit of the instrument for you to do that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. It, when you, that, when you really begin to understand that everything is energy, you know, everything like yeah. those instruments are alive, you know, yeah. it looks solid and just looks like a, an object that people can strum or play, but it really does. Everything carries that, that energy. Yeah. Yeah. So, but I, I think one, you know, result too of this is that you start to think, well, you can't just exploit the environment. It's really anti exploitative and and the western world's been really very bad about that so you know they the you know ecuadorians people from the indigenous world are trying to turn us around to stop us from doing that which is destructive so yeah that that's part of what this this message is and there's also the reason he was teaching here and he had been doing it for 20 years in fact coming to this country was part of their prophecy of the eagle and the condor and i think that you know a lot of people here have heard about this you know that the eagle is north america the condor was south america but, but i think they know it on a deeper level right that it also describes aspect of the mind that the the eagle is thinking and logic, and the condor is more perception, awareness, intuition, feeling. But we all have both things, but our culture emphasizes the logic side of things, and theirs in, em, you know, emphasizes the um, perception. We need both things to come together. And so he was trying to teach the perception here which, as you say, is not easy for people to hear to, to grasp. So that, that was something that started in 1989 in Ecuador, or at least in South America. There was a meeting of the um, senior shamanic council, and the Dalai Lama met with them. And he said, you know, I'm the last Dalai Lama, and what's going to happen 
is that the center of the world is going to move, the spiritual center of the world is going to move from Tibet to the Andes. And that you need to, you know, express your spirituality. And after that point, they had hidden their spirituality because of the oppression coming after the Spanish conquest. So at that point, they made a decision, you know, to, to bring their teachings north, basically. And um, so that was when Don Alberto started to come, to come here. But he was always looking for being able to have a book in English about his teachings. There was uh, an anthropologist in Quito who wrote one in Spanish. So that has, you know, been there for some time. So then would you like me to tell the story of how I ended up being the worst person doing that? Yeah. Um, all right. So um, I'd known him perhaps for a couple of years and I went with a, my family to for, for a vacation on the east coast of Mexico at the end of a very unpleasant New England winter. And it was great to be in this warm, you know, ocean warm environment. And, you know, I love to snorkel too. So anyway, when I'd been there for a while, I had this very vivid dream. It was close to the time when I wake up anyway. It was unusual in that I don't usually dream that very that much. And when I do, it, it seems to be usually to be about anxiety, but this was very different. And what it was, was that I was standing in the entrance to a cave, looking out onto a sunlit landscape and way off in the distance, there was a bird form that, that rose above the horizon and it went higher and higher and got bigger and bigger as it came towards me until its wings shut out the light, most of the light in the sky. And, uh, and it came towards me and it landed just in front of me, in front of the, the cave. And I saw it was an eagle and it was an eagle with the face of a Native American lady that I know. So at that point, there was a ballpoint pen that sprouted wings. And it was fluttering backwards and forwards like this between us. And so, you know, we both laughed and I noticed from the coloring, it was my pen. And so the eagle said, oh, she said, now we know why you write so well. You have a magic pen. <laughs> so I just, you know, I just thought it was a joke and that nice, you know, and, and at that moment I woke up. Well, I had noticed the coloring of the pen and that it had a design on it. It was a pale blue pen with a black design, but I didn't register what the design was. But having woken up, I realized I have that pen and I have it with me. And it's something that came to me just uh, a few days ago in the mail. It was a promotion for something I didn't even remember what for. So I looked at it. And it was the, the design was different sizes of feather on this pale blue ground. And when I saw that, the word pluma came into my head, which is Spanish for both feather and pen. And I took that as a suggestion that I should tell the dream to Don Alberto. And so I did. And he then invited me to write the book for him. Wow. So, 
<laughs> well, again, this was something I didn't plan at all. <laughs> Just uh, right. Some roles. It's such a great example too. You know, when I speak to people like yourself who really just pay attention to everything. It's like some people might pass that off as, oh, that was just a strange dream, you know, but you took some time, some pause to really understand that. And you probably know too that the dream state is also very much a waking world. I mean, it's a world onto its own. So to be able to receive that message, to look at it, not just as, oh, that was an interesting dream and then write it off, but you went a little bit deeper when you woke up in this reality to take that message. And then here you have this creation of a book, The Way of Abundance and Joy. That's right. Yes. And I think part of the reason I took it seriously was was because of the background I'd had in shamanism with Hank Wesselman, you know. And so, yes, when I was, you know, younger, I probably would just have dismissed it, not thought anything about it. And, you know, and then again, you know, during the two weeks that I spent in Ecuador, I had a visionary experience like I'd never had before. And so, you know, Don Alberto has interpreted that for me. So that, now that had to do with water. And so, would you like me to say something more about that? Yeah, because I thought it would be nice. Actually, one of the elements um, that I wanted to talk about when I had read your book, I was really fascinated by one of the stories about water. So that would be perfect. Okay. okay. All right. Well, he, he says, you know, that, that everybody uh, has one element in particular that they relate to. And I might say also that, you know, we may feel, well, if we live in the city, we don't you know, we can't relate to nature that well, you know, go to um, the ocean or anything like that. But, you know, you have a shower, you can take, which gets you in the water, You but you also have water inside. You have fire inside you, the heat, and in their thinking, it also relates to sexuality. They don't have a word for sex. There's the air you breathe. You can't survive without breathing. And what have I left out? Well, Earth. Earth is the, the really the big one because it provides the food and, you know, everything we, we eat and everything that we're surrounded by. So, all right. So I think his, well, I gather that his main element actually was water, although he's been described too as having the heart of the hummingbird. The hummingbird represents. So what happens um, during the trip? was that he took my friend and me and he and his partner and their little boy we went to a sacred lake and there was a promontory i think it was a man-made promontory but it was nice and grassy and it had a sort of grassy bank at the end of it and uh, they sat and they had they had a, a picnic and uh, but he said to my friend and me well here he gave us some some uh bread crusts he said, I want you to go and find your own spot and, you know, give thanks to the lake over here. So we sort of disappeared around the other side of the bank and we went our own ways. So we were both on our own. And so I stood there at the edge of the water and I thought, you know, I'm supposed to be Christian. What am I doing, you know, giving thanks to a lake here? And then I thought, well, I can really put my scruples aside and just say thank you for being here and having the opportunity to be here. So, so I did that 
And then the next moment, I saw out of the corner of my eye, I saw Don Beto at the water's edge, and he had a condor feather with him. And he tipped it in the water and he flicked it at me and hit me uh, full in the chest here, right? And then he dipped it in again, flicked it again, and hit me absolutely hard in the face. It was like getting a bucket of water thrown in my face. And I stepped backwards, right? It was that that strong. And and then I, you know, I looked so directly straight at him, and he wasn't there. And I thought, oh, he disappeared quickly around the corner. <laughs> and um, then I thought, this is a, was very odd. It was like um, an initiation of some sort, but I'm surprised he didn't say anything to me about it. So that, you know, that was the middle of the day. It wasn't anything special about the day. It was quite a gray day. It was noontime. And then we went on afterwards, you know, looking sightseeing and, you know, looking at things set out for sale and doing this, that, and the other thing. And so it was a very busy day. I didn't have a chance to say anything about it. And when I was in bed that night, I started to think about it finally. And I thought, wait a minute, I didn't get wet. You know, my shirt wasn't wet. My face wasn't wet. I didn't have to dry myself off. And I thought it must have been a visionary experience. And it that knocked me backwards because with shamanic journey, I had always known which reality I was in. You know, if I was in a dream world or if I was in, in this ordinary world, I'd never before had an experience where I had thought something happened in this ordinary world, but it really wasn't. It was in a dream world. Yeah. So I thought, well, all right, I have to tell him about this the next day. So I did, and he got very excited, and his eyes were flashing. And he said, oh, he said, that was the spirit of water, you know, the energy of water. And he said, that was a great gift, and you can use that in healing. And then, you know, a couple of days later, and I, I think, I mean, he did explain what he was doing, but I think, in fact, in, in Native American culture, if you have a, a dream or a vision, then you have to do something to make it uh, real in this world. You have to kind of at attach it in an actual happening, something that's done. So he took me to a hundred foot waterfall, which is in a place called Banyos. And we stood, it was shallow, we stood on some rocks close to the bottom edge. And then he did a little ceremony for me, you know, I think to, to fix, fix that, uh, that vision. So, wow. yeah, I, that was a story that I loved and it, it reminded me, I'll share a little story with you because maybe you can even help me to make sense of it. But that was one of the things I really enjoyed in your book were kind of these moments and these stories that you would share where it was almost like, I've heard many shamans say this, is you were always in a dream, but can you wake up inside of the dream? You know, so it's kind of like yes. you were in both realities at the same time. And so interesting. I've never heard of that about how if you experience that to try to bring it into this world, you know, it sounds like to kind of ground yeah. it. One time I had this experience, I was driving and I was praying to a client of mine that I had lost who had recently passed away. And I was working with her daughter 
and was just having thoughts of her and thinking about her and thinking about my session that I was going to have with her daughter. And then all of a sudden I looked up as I was driving and there was an eagle and it looked to be carrying a long stick. And I was like, wow, that's fascinating. I've never seen an eagle carrying a stick. And as I was driving, I'm getting closer to it. And the eagle was actually carrying a snake in its oh, talons. Yes. Ooh, wow. And I was like, wow, okay. And there was a part of me, even to this day, I'm like, did I imagine that? Did I dream that? Was that really happening? That was just, there was something very interesting. I talked to a Native American elder about it, but she didn't give me any answer. She was like, well, what does that mean for you? You figure it out, basically. Yeah. She yeah. Said, I was like, I've got no idea. But she said, were you in trance when you saw that? I said, actually, I was. I was praying. I was in, yeah. in a prayer state while I was driving and then had this magnificent image of this eagle and then this really long snake. And I've never done anything with that because I didn't know what it was. Or I, I know that everything is something, you know, that that wasn't just just a random coincidence. But I just thought I would share that with you to see if you had any wisdom to share with me in if you think it means something and what could I possibly do to maybe bring that? Well, I, I don't know. I mean, I can think of something sort of from, from an Andean perspective, but that may not be what's relevant to you. But but on the other hand, since you're asking me, <laughs> maybe it is, you know, so I'll tell you. Well, you know, there are three, three, three levels in the shamanic world, the lower level, the level we're on, and then there's the upper level. All right. So, um, the eagle and the condor are, you know, birds of the upper level to do with, with the creator. The snake, at least in, in the Andes, has to do with the lower world. And it's not a bad world, but it's a world that has to do both with death and with rebirth. And one of the things I found very interesting was when I was in, in Peru with, with Don Beto and I went to a museum in, I think it was in Lima, and there was a very interesting gallery there of pre-Columbian sculptures. And they had, they showed, a number of them showed skeletons in sexual positions. And I thought, what the heck is that? Well, it, it's a visualization of the, the lower world where they believe, you know, that there's death, and then that, like the seeds are in the soil, that they have to grow up again. So there's rebirth. So it it represents both, right? And so you know, just thinking about what you said in those terms, it, it could be that the upper world is picking it's picking up the 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 death from the low world, and and this rebirth happening again. It's carrying it up mm -hmm. to the sky. Yeah, lovely. And when you think about it, I was I was speaking to someone who had transitioned, right? Who was quote unquote yes. dead and yeah. thinking about her daughter who she had given birth to that was still alive, you know, yeah. so kind of like the life and death coming together. I don't know. It was just really, it was a moment I'll remember for forever because it's yeah. rare to ever see, it's the first I've ever seen an eagle carrying a large snake flying in the air over me. <laughs> you know? So, and again, you don't know if it was real or if it was visionary. It could have been either. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Oof. Yeah. Bob is in mind. 
Well, I want to thank you so much for coming on the podcast. There's some really great things that we didn't get a chance to talk about in the book, The Way of Abundance and Joy. And I really want people to pick it up because I also really loved what you shared about working with the plants and plant medicine. And you actually kind of uh, laid out a ritual that people can use to help for healing. So that's in there. That's in the book as well. And, you know, want to thank you for introducing us to the work of Don Alberto, of learning his name. And, you know, there's so much more in the book, we can never really fully get it done in like 40 minutes. But I'm so glad that I had the opportunity to introduce you to my audience. And I love the stories that you shared. So thank you. And thank you for answering my question and trying to help me make sense of a vision possibly that I have. There's also things about the power of water and what it it can do and what Mm -hmm. it can do for you. All right. So that's in there too. Yes. Wonderful. Well, Shirley Blanca, thank you so much for being a guest on the Path 11 podcast. And can people purchase your book at like a Barnes and Nobles, Amazon? Is it pretty much available everywhere? Okay. Yeah. All right. And do you have a website as well that you'd like to share? I don't actually, no, but there is an author page on Amazon. People can look at it. They can find that. Yeah. All right. Well, wonderful. Well, thank you so much. And thank you for paying attention to your dreams and interpreting them and having, you know, just that passion of loving someone's work and putting it in the English language for us to be introduced to him. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Yeah. And thank you everyone for listening. I hope you all have a wonderful day. Take care, everyone. Thanks so much for tuning in to today's show. If you haven't already, please subscribe and rate and review the Path 11 podcast in Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. Also, this podcast is made possible by our sponsor, Path 11 TV. Visit path11tv.com to start a seven-day free trial and start streaming over 100 hours of exclusive video content on consciousness, healing, and life after death. That's path11tv.com and be sure to use coupon code podcast30 to take 30% off your annual membership. Start satisfying your spiritual curiosity with a membership to Path 11 TV today. Bye for now. I'm Austin Lugo. I'm Andrew Harp. This is With Nothing to Say. And let's talk about movies. With over 3,000 films log, Andrew and I, best friends since middle school, have dedicated our lives to watching, making, and talking about movies. Each week, Andrew and I handpick a movie he's seen, I've seen, or neither of us have seen, and dive deep into anything and everything to wannabe cinephils could ever think of. From horror to dramedy, we do it all. So join us as we talk about everything movies, and maybe you too can become a bona fide cinephile.